Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 297. Today's topic is Planet of the Humans. So why are we talking about Planet of the Humans? And the reason is it has caused quite a stir within the environmental movement and we need to look and see what it reveals about the environmental movement. So let's read Wikipedia's introduction to Planet of the Humans and then go from there. It says, Planet of the Humans is a 2019 American environmental documentary film written, directed, and produced by Jeff Gibbs. The film was executive produced by Michael Moore. Moore released it on YouTube for free viewing on April 21, 2020, the eve of the 50th anniversary of the first Earth Day. The film examines the decision of mainstream environmental groups and leaders to partner with billionaires, corporations, and wealthy family foundations in the fight to save a planet said to be in crisis. The film questions whether green energy can solve the problem of society's expanding resource depletion without reducing consumption, population growth, as all existing forms of energy generation require consumption of finite resources. Centrally, the film questions whether renewable energy sources such as biomass energy, wind energy, and solar energy are as renewable as they are portrayed to be. Upon its release, Planet of the Humans generated intense controversy. It was criticized by some climate scientists, environmentalists, and renewable energy proponents as misleading and outdated. It was removed from YouTube on uh, the 25th of May, 2020, in response to a claim of copyright infringement, which PEN America condemned as censorship. The filmmakers challenged the claim, arguing that the fragment was used under fair use and that free speech was subverted. Twelve days later, YouTube allowed the film to be viewed again. In November 2020, Moore removed it from YouTube where it was available for free and made available on Amazon, Apple, and Google's rental channels. So what I just read to you is a fair portrayal of Planet of the Humans, which you will never get from most mainstream environmentalists. The biggest name environmentalist locally and nationally would never give you a fair representation of the movie such as I just gave you. So, so we really need to question the sources of information that we've been getting. So it says here in the Wikipedia article I just read you, the film examines the decision of mainstream environmental groups and leaders to partner with billionaires, corporations, and wealthy family foundations in the fight to save a planet said to be in crisis. So here's what you won't hear from the big name environmentalists locally and nationally. You won't hear you know, maybe we should question the decision of mainstream environmental groups to partner with billionaires. You know, they'll say this sometime. You have the term greenwashing and, you know, people acknowledge that greenwashing is a problem. But when Planet of the Humans comes up, they try to focus on the allegation that, oh, Planet of the Humans used old information, old data. It's a shill for big oil. Yet you would never hear from 
mainstream environmentalists that the film questions whether green energy can solve the problem of society's expanding resource depletion. So the film has been attacked on two main grounds. One is that it used old information in relation to the efficiency of solar panels. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll talk about that. Did the film, in fact, use old information in relation to the efficiency of solar panels? And the other ground on which it has been attacked is the emphasis on population. So if you look at the movie, it mentions population a couple of times, but only in the context, you know, only in the same breath as talking about consumption. So if you ask me, do we have a population problem? I say, you know, do we have a population problem? It's not a problem if it's not something you can easily control. So since population is something that you cannot easily control, you have to look at consumption. So if every American, you know, if people around the world consumed like Americans do, it would be as if the planet had like 35 billion, maybe 50 billion, maybe 70 billion people, depending on what numbers you look at. So let's use a very conservative estimate that says if people around the world consumed like Americans do, it would be as if the world had a population of 35 billion. So, you know, that'd be five times the population we have. So do we have a population problem or do we have a consumption problem? To me, we have a consumption problem because the consumption is the most easily controlled. Besides, population would come under control if, uh, you know, you have... If you empower women with education and birth control, and if you uh, get people out of poverty, because having a lot of children is a retirement plan if you're very poor. But the people who are criticizing the movie on the basis of population, well, they're, they're just taking it out of context, and they're misrepresenting the facts. So let's look at an article that is, in my view, the single best article written in defense of Planet of the Humans. It's about 9,000 words, so it's plenty long. It's long enough to, do, to be a real investigative report about Planet of the Humans. It's written by Max Blumenthal of the Gray Zone, which is generally speaking a fantastic source for investigative reporting. So this article is by Max Blumenthal. The title of it is Green Billionaires Behind Professional Activist Network That Led Suppression of Planet of the Humans Documentary. So here's how Max Blumenthal starts the article. It says, it's hard to think of an American film that provoked a greater backlash in 2020 than Planet of the Humans. Focused on the theme of planetary extinction and fanciful proposals to ward it off, the documentary was released for free on YouTube on April 21st. The date was significant not only because it was the eve of the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, but because a global pandemic was tearing through America's social fabric, exposing the human toll of the country's globalized, growth-obsessed economic model. So that's one thing that the, the people, the opponents of the movie, you will never hear them talk about uh, the, the human toll of the country's globalized, growth-obsessed economic model. People like Max Blumenthal, people like Michael Moore, people like Ozzie Zenner and Jeff Gibbs, they're talking about, you know, the problem is not that we don't have enough solar panels. The problem is a growth-obsessed economic model. 
So the people who are attacking the movie, in my view, are doing so because they don't want to call into question America's growth-obsessed economic model. So Max Blumenthal's article continues, what had this documentary done to inflame so much opposition from the faces and voices of professional climate justice activism? First, it probed the well-established shortcomings of renewable energy resources like solar and wind power that have been marketed as a green panacea. Planet of the Humans portrayed these technologies as anything but green, surveying the environmental damage already caused by solar and wind farms, which require heavy mining and smelting to produce, destroy swaths of pristine land, and sometimes demand natural gas to operate. So has the movie been vigorously opposed because it was inaccurate or it gave outdated information related to solar energy or because it's eco-fascist focusing on population? No, it's been vigorously opposed because there's big business in solar panels. There's big business in wind farms. There's big business in electric cars. And yet none of these industries by themselves are going to solve the problem of climate change. And all of these industries have serious side effects. I did, you know, the last two episodes I did were about lithium. Lithium, just the mining of lithium alone has serious side effects. So what we don't want to do is get 10 years down the road and find out that we have been listening to the wrong people. We don't want to get 10 years down the road and say, you know, solar panels have some value, but we really should have been using some other strategies. And the environmentalists I know, like locally, that are promoting solar energy is like, well, you just have to get what you can get. You know, you get what you can get now, and then maybe later things will be a little bit better. But, you know, Solar panels and wind power, in my view, are not the low-hanging fruit. We need to do some of those things, but while we do solar panels and wind power, we need to make sure that we're not driving indigenous peoples off their lands in Bolivia. We need to make sure that our devices are not, um, don't have metals in them that were mined with slave labor from children in the People's Republic of Congo. Justice first ecology first, then we'll talk about solar panels and windmills and electric cars. But solar panels and windmills and electric cars are being pushed in the context of a plan that does not emphasize justice and does not emphasize the low-hanging fruit. The low-hanging fruit includes, okay, President Biden, with the stroke of a pen, you could end deforestation on public lands. The, pu the deforestation on public lands does not help the average person. The deforestation on public lands only helps a few profiteers, and it destroys our water, destroys our air, destroys our soil, destroys our climate. So it's like, can we talk? Can we talk about strategy? Can we talk about what's really the most important thing to do right now? Or are we just going to be led along down a garden path by people who want to sell us solar panels and windmills and electric cars? So reading from Max Blumenthal's article, it says, while major environmental outfits have lobbied for a Green New Deal, 
to fuel a renewables-based industrial revolution and are now banking on a democratic president to enact their proposals, Planet of the Humans put forth a radical critique that called their entire agenda into question. So yes, some of us are calling into question the entire agenda of this renewables-based industrial revolution. I've been saying in relation to Biden's climate plan, it's like Biden's climate plan says we can create whole new industries. Well, maybe we don't need to create whole new industries. Maybe we don't need to be promoting a haphazard hodgepodge of questionable tactics. Maybe we need to have an overall strategy that puts first things first. Maybe we should have an overall strategy where we don't go too far down the road before we have to scratch our heads and ask ourselves, what does this have to do with justice? What does this have to do with putting people first? And what does this have to do with ecology? What does this have to do with caring for the planet? Continuing to read from Max Blumenthal's article, it says, as the director of the documentary, Jeff Gibbs explained, when we focus on climate change only as the thing destroying the planet and we demand solutions, we get used by forces of capitalism who want to continue to sell us the disastrous illusion that we can mine and smelt and industrialize our way out of this extinction event. And again, behind the scenes, much of what we're doing to save the planet is to burn the bio of the planet as green energy. So that's a really important point that I got partly from the makers of this movie. Climate is not nature. We could save the climate and lose nature because climate is only one thing that is, that, that is harmful to nature. Plus the people, uh, so climate is not nature and carbon is not nature. We can decarbonize while destroying the planet in a hundred other ways. And the people who want to sell us narrow solutions that have to do with decarbonization, they are charlatans, at least potentially. So we don't want to fall under the spell of charlatans who say, here's how we can decarbonize. Meanwhile, we're using a lot of carbon in order to decarbonize and we're polluting the air and we're polluting the water because this is all green capitalism. We're giving, we're delegating the climate movement to capitalist businesses that necessarily have a short-term focus. So let's read a bit more from the Wikipedia article on Planet of the Humans. It says, Planet of the Humans takes a critical look at the mainstream environmental movement, questioning its leader's decision to partner with billionaires, corporations, and wealthy family foundations to promote renewable energy technology as the solution to climate change. So what the environmental movement should be doing, instead of nitpicking minor points in Planet of the Humans, it should be asking that should the mainstream environmental movement 
be should the mainstream environmental movement question its leaders' decisions to partner with billionaires? You know, are billionaires on our side? Are corporations on our side? To those of us who genuinely want to solve the problem of climate change and do not want to just make a buck in the process, shouldn't we question the alliance of the Sierra Club with billionaires if those exist? Shouldn't we question the alliance of Bill McKibben and 350.org with billionaires and family foundations like the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation? Shouldn't we scrutinize that? Is Bill McKibben such a sacred cow that he cannot be questioned or scrutinized? Are we going to defend Bill McKibben every step of the way? Or are we going to say, Bill, you've got a big name in this movement. Are you going to use that big name to do the right thing, or are you just greenwashing the efforts of corporations and billionaires to make a profit? So the movie has three movie makers, Jeff Gibbs, Ozzie Zenner, and Michael Moore. Mainly, Michael Moore didn't even make the movie. He's just putting, he's just, he, but he believes in it. I, I've listened to over 20 hours of audio where I'm really getting to know the makers of this movie. And people who want to slam this movie and criticize this movie, you need to get to know the makers of the movie instead of just reading and sharing hit pieces. So one of the makers of the movie is Jeff Gibbs. He, it says Gibbs admits to being a longtime fan of renewable, renewable energy. So Jeff Gibbs and Ozzie Zinner, they you know, have spent a long time liking and promoting renewable energy, but they know the limitations of it. So it says, when Barack Obama directs billions of dollars into renewable energy, Gibbs follows the green energy movement more closely, but is disappointed with, its initial, with his initial findings. Everywhere I encountered green energy, Gibbs says, it wasn't what it seemed. So this journey led Gibbs to environmental sociologist Richard York's study, published in the journal Nature, which found renewables were not displacing fossil fuels. So what if, re if renewables are not currently displacing fossil fuels? What if our demand for more and more energy is increasing faster than the implementation of solar panels and windmills? It's like, we're not going in the right direction with this. And in my view, we will never go in the right direction with this until we dramatically reduce our consumption of energy. And that dramatic reduction in our consumption of energy cannot and should not fall upon the average conscientious consumer. If we wanted to drastically reduce our consumption of energy, we could do it tomorrow by eliminating those industries and sectors of our economy that have nothing to do with the well-being of average people. In, in ethics, every decision, if we're concerned about being ethical, then every decision needs to be, needs to have kind of a cost-benefit analysis going with it. What are the costs of this decision versus what are the benefits of this decision? 
So if we decide, decide to continuously and endlessly perpetuate a defense industry, we have to ask what are the benefits of that decision and what are the costs of that decision? In my view, the costs of having a defense industry are dramatic and the benefits are negligible. So most of the decisions that we can make don't cost anything. We're led to believe by some people, especially the fossil fuel industry, that every decision we make toward a cleaner, more renewable existence is going to cost more than the benefits of it. I look around me and I see that that's not the case at all. We could eliminate defense. We could eliminate the manufacture of new automobiles. We could eliminate the manufacture of new planes. Because for one thing, the manufacture of an automobile is an intensely polluting and, and carbon intensive endeavor. If we were serious about decarbonization, we would stop manufacturing new automobiles, especially internal combustion automobiles. If we were serious about decarbonization, we would eliminate the manufacture of new airplanes, especially, well, you know, all airplanes, there's no electric airplanes yet, but we would eliminate the manufacture of new airplanes because the manufacture of new airplanes is taking far more carbon than can be justified. And it's generating way more pollution then we can justify. So why don't we do that? And your typical mainstream environmentalist just says, ah, well, that, you can't get that. that. You know, mainstream environmentalists, most of whom are Democrats, are always saying, well, you have to be pragmatic. You have to compromise with the powers that be. But the powers that be aren't interested in compromising with you. So why are you compromising with somebody who's not interested in compromising with you? If 90% of the compromising, if you're doing 90% of the compromising and the other side is doing 10% or less, then that's not really a compromise. It's just the other side getting their way. So one of the things that they show in the movie is somewhat disturbing. Uh, Gibbs and Zinner, that's Jeff Gibbs and Ozzy Zinner, travel to the Ivanpah Solar Power Facility in the Mojave Desert and show a natural gas line hooked up to the facility. Gibbs speaks to a series of solar industry insiders, an electrical engineer, and a Federal Energy Regulatory Commission about solar energy's intermittency limitation and reliance on baseload plants. So what they're referring to here, I don't have a major problem with this. I'm under no illusions that solar and, I mean, solar energy and wind energy both have this problem called intermittency which means the sun doesn't always shine. Sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes it's nighttime. So the sun doesn't always shine. And when you have wind energy, the wind doesn't always blow. So solar power and wind power are naturally gonna have this problem called intermittency. That problem is partly solved by batteries. So I'm okay with having that conversation and also, anything that we do with solar energy, you know, for the time being, solar energy is going to require fossil fuels. You need fossil fuels to mine the minerals. You need fossil fuels to transport the minerals. You need fossil fuels to run the plant where the solar panels or the windmill parts are assembled. 
So all of that is fine, but we need to be, we need to have a candid conversation about this and we need to get all the facts out on the table. So the problem I have with the Ivanpah solar power facility is not the fact that it, it exhibits intermittency. Any solar installation is going to have intermittency and any solar panel or windmill is going to require lots of fossil fuels to manufacture the solar panel and when that's just a fact of life I don't have a problem with that what I do have a problem with is a couple of things that were showed in the movie one is that you have desert tortoises that had to be relocated if you know so the desert tortoises had to be relocated and they knew going into it that uh, a certain number, certain percentage of the desert tortoises were going to die from relocation. They knew that. But can we have a conversation about whether that is worth the cost? Or are we just going to celebrate uh, solar power as if it is inherently good and it has no cost that comes with it? Another thing that the movie portrayed in relation to the Ivanpah solar power facility was the destruction of 5,000 year old Joshua trees. Correction, those Joshua trees are probably not 5,000 years old, probably closer to 1,000 year old. But, you know, here we are. We're going to make way for a solar plant, a solar array, and we're just going to chew up a thousand year old tree to do it. Can we have a conversation about whether it's worth that? Or are we just going to say solar power is all good all the time? This illustrates a trade-off and a conversation we need to have and it's the trade-off between so-called renewable energy and an ecological approach to living. Just because we have solar panels does not mean we're being ecological. Just because we have solar panels does not mean we're living sustainably within the world that we've been given. So I've got a few minutes left. Let me leave you with some things to think about. So here are several issues and questions raised by Planet of the Humans. One is, who can we trust to give us reliable information? Given the fact that there are commercial interests that want to sell us solar panels, but don't necessarily you know, want to save the planet, you know, where are we getting our information? Who can we trust to give us reliable information? Can we trust Big Green to give us reliable information? Can we trust Bloomberg to give us reliable information? Can we trust the local solar panel installer to give us reliable information? Another question raised by the movie is, what are the real solutions to climate change? You know, there's a whole range of actual solutions to climate change that, are, that don't get a lot of press because it, it's not profitable. The things that are profitable are going to get press. So when we stop uh, deforestation, that's a very real solution to climate change, but it doesn't get a lot of press because it's not profitable. If we, if we were to divide up these huge farms that have very destructive agricultural practices, and if we were to say, okay, we're going to have, we're going to sell off these farms of 100, 200 acres apiece, whatever you can farm sustainably and ecologically. 
That is a very real solution to climate change, but it does not get a lot of press. Let's say we had, <clears throat> all of a sudden we had a universal basic income. Forget for the time being the ethical objections you might have to a universal basic income. It would reduce people's need to go to crappy jobs. It would reduce our dependence on working for the worst companies in the world just to earn a paycheck. That is a very real solution to climate change, but you're not going to hear about it because it's not profitable for the big players. So the number one takeaway from Planet of the Humans for me is be careful where you get your information because many of our attitudes have been shaped by people who want to make money. You can get some of your information from for-profit sources, but if that's where you're getting all of your information, then Beware, we've got too much at stake to play around with false ideas. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Welcome to the Climate Report. This is Hart Hagen and we are on episode number 298. Today's topic is Planet of the Humans. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback related to this content, please email info at theclimatereport.net. That's info at theclimatereport.net. So the reason we're talking about Planet of the Humans is because it has caused quite a stir and we're going to look and see at what it says about the environmental movement. We're going to look and see whether it reveals anything, uh, whether it sheds any light on the question of where should we be getting our information. So brief introduction to Planet of the Humans comes from Wikipedia. It says Planet of the Humans is a 2019 American environmental documentary film written, directed, and produced by Jeff Gibbs. The film was executive produced by Michael Moore and it was released on YouTube for free viewing on April 23rd, uh, 21st, 2020, the eve of the 50th anniversary of the first Earth Day. The film examines the decision of mainstream environmental groups and leaders to partner with billionaires, corporations, and wealthy family foundations in the fight to save the planet said to be in crisis. The film questions whether green energy can solve the problem of society's expanding resource depletion without reducing consumption and population growth as all existing forms of energy generation require consumption of finite resources. So two main issues that the film raises. One is how effective is solar energy and wind energy. Are these things really ecological? Uh, you know, not only what are the benefits, but what are the costs? What, are the co what, what is the cost of a solar array in California? What is the true cost of that solar array? And what is the true cost of a wind farm in Vermont? Uh, are we doing, are we now, is it now okay to do mountaintop removal for wind farms? 
Or what about biomass? What about when they're just chewing up forests in order to uh, call it renewable energy? Even the Obama administration said, okay, we're going to count biomass as renewable energy, even though you're chewing up a forest and burning it, but we're going to call that renewable. So let's read the article that represents the guy who's leading the charge as an attack against the movie. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not about the movie. It's about the issues that the movie raises. But unfortunately, in my interactions with local big-name environmentalists, they're not interested in a candid conversation about the movie or a candid conversation about the issues that the movie raises. But reading Josh Fox's article, it says, for all of you, well, it says, uh, meet, meet the new flack for oil and gas, Michael Moore. So Fox is saying that Michael Moore is the flack for oil and gas. In other words, Michael Moore is kind of, you know, going to bat for the fossil fuel industry. It says, Planet of the Humans is wildly unscientific, outdated, full of falsehoods, and benefits fossil fuel industry promoters and climate deniers. So he's saying the movie is wildly unscientific. So one question is, can we have a conversation about whether or not the movie is wildly unscientific? Mike's interaction with big name local environmentalists, the answer is apparently is no. We're not going to have an honest conversation about this. So reading from Max Blumenthal's article, Green Billionaires Behind Professional Activist Network, it says, What had this documentary done to inflame so much opposition from the faces and voices of professional climate justice activism? First, it probed the well-established shortcomings of renewable energy sources like solar and wind power that have been marketed as a green panacea. Planet of the Humans portrayed these technologies as anything but green, surveying the environmental damage already caused by solar and wind farms, which require heavy mining and smelting to produce, uh, destroy swaths of pristine land, and sometimes demand natural gas to operate. So if solar and wind farms are going to destroy wide swaths of land and destroy wildlife habitat, can we have a conversation about whether that is justified? Can we have a conversation not only about the benefits of solar energy, but the costs? Can we have a conversation not only about the benefits of wind energy, but also about the costs? Can we have a true assessment and analysis of the manufacture of solar panels and the manufacture of windmills and all the electronics technology that is being promote, uh, proposed? Can we have a conversation about the true ecological impact of electronics? Can we have a conversation about whether we're going to grow, 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 grow the economy or whether we can eliminate wide swaths of our economy without any adverse impact to people if we wanted to, if we decided to, if we made up our minds. So here is an issue that the movie raised about solar energy. It says, the movie portrays a Cedar Street 
solar array in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, it has flexible solar panels that run at 8% efficiency, purportedly enough to generate electricity for just 10 homes. Because that scene was part of a historical sequence filmed in 2008, uh, Keaton Joshi dismissed it as an example of the film's extreme oldness. However, this February, reading from Max Blumenthal's article, this February, the solar trade publication PV Magazine found that Tesla's newest line of flexible solar shingles had an efficiency rate of 8.1%, almost exactly the same as those depicted in Planet of the Humans. While it is true that monocrystalline solar panels boast a higher efficiency rate, between 15% and 18% in commercially available form, they were also on the market, they were also on the market back in 2008. These panels are significantly more expensive than the flexible, less efficient solar panels, however, and their efficiency levels do not account for the intermittency inherent to solar energy, which does not work well in cloudy or dark conditions. So the thing is, I don't pretend to be an expert on all this stuff, but neither is the average citizen. And the average citizen and even the average environmentalist is easily snowed by all the technical data. So we have to ask, where are we getting our information? And we have to ask, can we have a conversation about this? because I have not been able to have a conversation about this with prominent local environmentalists. I just get shut down. So here's another question we need to ask about solar and wind energy, and that is, how much are we increasing our consumption of energy versus how much are we adding energy generation in the form of solar and wind? So if our increase in fossil fuel consumption is exceeding the amount at which we're adding solar and wind, then that's not going in the right direction. I'm not saying solar and wind don't have their place, but I look around me and I see consumption, I see industries and products and whole sectors of our economy that represent needless energy consumption, not least of all the defense industry. So the defense industry, in my view, doesn't do anything but gobble up fossil fuels. The defense industry subsidizes fossil fuels because every gallon of gas you put in your tank, the price is lower because of what our defense industry does around the world. And does the defense industry make us safer? That's another conversation, but I would argue if emphatically no, the defense industry does not make us safer. So it needs to go away or at least needs to be reduced by 90%. The manufacture of new automobiles is an industry that needs to be reduced by 90%. The manufacture of new, the construction of new pipelines is an industry that needs to be reduced by 90%. New fracking wells, new oil drilling needs to be reduced by 90%. Wouldn't it save a whole lot of energy if we reduced those industries by 90%? We would do better to pay those people to do nothing rather than paying them to destroy the planet. Frontline workers in fast food and executives in fast food, we would do better to pay them to do nothing than to pay them to destroy the planet 
And for one thing, they're consuming way more than their share in fossil fuels. They're doing way more than their share in deforestation. So what I'm saying is that there are ways for us to reduce our energy consumption and thereby reduce our fossil fuel consumption. And so, and so then when we reduce our fossil fuel consumption, then we can talk about how to introduce alternative forms of generating energy like solar and wind. But as long as we're paying the Pentagon $740 billion a year, we are not serious about reducing our fossil fuel consumption. As long as we're deforesting public lands through Republican and Democratic administrations, we are deforesting public lands. And as long as we're deforesting public lands for the benefit of a very few, as long as we're deforesting public lands for agriculture, for fossil fuel use, for mining, for pipelines, as long as we're doing that, we're not serious about addressing climate change and we're not serious about any sort of approach to living that is remotely ecological. So instead of having that conversation, the big name local environmentalists are sharing articles like Meet the New, <coughs> Meet the New Flack for Oil and Gas, Michael Moore. This article written by Josh Fox, it says Planet of the Humans is wildly unscientific, outdated, full of falsehoods and benefits the fossil fuel industry promoters and climate deniers. So what he's saying is if you're not with us, you're against us. If you're not for green capitalism, you are against the climate. And what some of us are saying is that is a false choice. We don't need to choose between the climate and green capitalism. We can save the climate without green capitalism. And besides, green capitalism doesn't have a chance in hell of saving the climate. But here's what Josh Fox had to say. For all of you who thought 2020 couldn't get any weirder, here comes Planet of the Humans. Now this article was, uh, this is from early last year. This is in April 30th of 2020. The article, the um, movie was released a few days before this. For all of you who thought 2020 couldn't get any weirder, here comes Planet of the Humans, the latest film from Michael Moore who produced and is doing the bulk of the promotion for it, directed by Jeff Gibbs. The film dropped April 21 as a YouTube freebie, presumably as an early gift for Earth Day. Like many of Moore's fans, I thought, cool, how timely. Trump is in the White House ripping every environmental law to shreds, rolling back dozens of environmental rules, trashing the Paris Agreement, denying climate change, and opening up millions of acres for fracking. We need a movie on this complex and dramatic moment. Continuing to read in Josh Fox's article, in the past 10 years, despite Trump and the not-so-environmentally friendly Obama administration, the environmental movement has become formidable, organized, paradigm-shifting game-changer. The achievements have been stunning. The codification and structuring of the Green New Deal, the fossil-free movement, championed by Bill McKibben and Naomi Klein, which has led to universities, pension funds, and foundations to commit to divesting trillions of dollars from fossil fuels, 
huge advances in renewable energy efficiency, the proliferation of 100% renewable energy plans put forward by Stanford University professor Mark Jacobson and others, a burgeoning youth movement inspired by Fridays for Future and Greta Thunberg, the remarkable successes of the anti-fracking movement, which finally reached the mainstream, espoused by progressives like Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but also by moderates like Kamala Harris and Pete Buttigieg, and the, incredibly, and, the, and the incredible civil disobedience uprising at Standing Rock against the Dakota Access Pipeline. What a decade for the environmental movement. Those achievements deserve celebration on film. So it's like my man Noam Chomsky says, it takes a sentence to tell a lie and it takes 10 minutes to unpack that lie. It takes 10 minutes to take a lie and tell people why it's a lie and why they should not believe it. But the, the lie that's being told here is that, hey, we've had a lot of rhetoric. In the last decade, we've had a lot of rhetoric. We've had a lot of posturing. Therefore, we're doing the right thing. We're going in the right direction. And another subtle lie that's being told here is that somehow Michael Moore's film is going against the environmental movement. Somehow Michael Moore's film poses a threat to these things. So yeah, the fact that we're talking about a Green New Deal is a step forward, but we're not going nearly fast enough. If we believe the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, when they say that in the next 10 years we need a serious reduction in fossil fuels, then we're looking at a necessary rate of change that is much greater than anything we have achieved. Plus, the, you know, the champions of the Green New Deal, Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, have been completely neutralized in the past year. They're allowed to have a certain amount of rhetoric, but they're not allowed to make any real change. One thing Josh Fox points to here as an, as an accomplishment is the divestment of trillions of dollars by foundations and universities and pensions funds, the divestment of trillions of dollars of fossil fuels. But Max Blumenthal in his article, Green Billionaires, if you Google Max Blumenthal, Green Billionaires, it'll get you that article. It talks about how divestment is not always what it claims to be. They're divesting from fossil fuel industries, but investing in other industries that are just as bad. And that's a whole other conversation. But the point is divestment can be purely symbolic. So what Josh Fox is doing here is he's pointing to these purely symbolic things as if, as if they are sig significant moves forward and as if this film is somehow an impediment to these good things. He also cites Mark Jacobson, which, you know, the, there's a, okay, Stanford University, Professor Mark Jacobson, it was this study that has been very influential in the environmental movement. And I have 
kind of fallen under the spell of this study by Mark Jacobson, but it turns out that the Mark Jacobson study has been thoroughly discredited. So, okay, my friends in the Louisville environmental movement, if you want to have a serious conversation uh, uh, in, in, that's analytical, let's talk about Mark Jacobson. Let's talk about whether that study is to be believed and followed. Because Mark Jacobson's study asserts that it is feasible for us to transition to 100% renewable energy in 10 years. And if not 10, then 20 years. But reading from Max Blumenthal's article, it says uh, Fox failed to, uh, you know, Josh Fox failed to acknowledge that the professor's all renewables projection was strongly challenged by 21 leading energy science scientists in the prestigious proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences Journal. The scientists concluded Jacobson paper was rife with invalid modeling tools containing modeling errors and made implausible and inadequately supported assumptions. A survey of the debate by Scientific Americans scoffed at Jacobson's remarkable assumption that U.S. hydroelectric dams could add turbines and transformers to produce 1,300 gigawatts of, electric of electricity instantaneously or the equivalent of about 1,000 large nuclear or coal power plants running at full power. Jacobson retaliated against his critics by filing a $10 million defamation lawsuit, which he was forced to withdraw in 2018. Legal commentator Kenneth White described the suit as clearly vexatious and intended to silence dissent about an alleged scientist's peer-reviewed article. This April, a D.C. Superior Court judge invoked an anti-SLAP, SLAP is strategic lawsuit against public participation, uh, legislation that reportedly ordered Jacobson to pay the defendant's legal fees. So this guy, Mark Jacobson, he did a study and okay, so you can do your study, but then when your fellow scientists call the study into question, then you sue them. And this is the type of person and the type of study that Josh Fox is unquestioningly giving positive reviews to in his hit piece against Planet of the Humans. So again, it's not about the movie. It's about the issues the movie raised and it's about how people are reacting to the movie and the issues that it raised. The movie could not possibly be as bad as the critics say it is, but yet the critics are being unquestioningly shared and repeated by your mainstream environmentalists. Here's continuing in Josh Fox's article. Because the film is so dangerous, so wildly off track and full of misinformation, you know, those are, those are extreme words. Is it dangerous? Can we have a conversation about whether it's dangerous? Is it wildly off track? Can we have a conversation about whether it is wildly off track? Is it full of information? Can we have a conversation about whether the movie is full of information? 
but it says it's full of misinformation, fossil fuel industry talking points, unfounded, wacky statements. Uh, you could be forgiven for thinking if it was created by Breitbart News or Steve Bannon, and not the erstwhile bastion of progressive bombast that is Michael Moore. It says the film utterly ignores the new emboldened environmental movement. It's like, what are we telling stories here for? What is this, a soap opera? We're going, utterly ignores the new emboldened environmental movement. So emboldened means we have more of the right rhetoric, but rhetoric does not make change. Rhetoric does not take our world that is anti-ecological and turn it into an ecological world with ecological energy systems. But it says the film directs its attack on renewable energy and on the basic premise of all climate action and modern environmentalism that humanity must end our addiction to fossil fuels. The film even attacks and tries to demonize Bill McKibben, one of the most selfless and influential fighters for the climate ever for the climate over three decades. Well, yeah, Bill McKibben has done good things. He's a good guy. But is he currently going the right way? And can we have a conversation about whether Bill McKibben is currently going the right way or whether he has been bought by the Pentagon, by Wall Street? Because it appears that Bill McKibben has been bought by the Pentagon and by Wall Street. And can we have a conversation about that? Or are we just going to reflexively defend Bill McKibben against critics. So it says here, uh, with this latest film, Michael Moore has become the new darling of Breitbart and the frackers. So here's a, a technique that I see over and over again. It's if you're not with us, you're against us, as if there are only two sides to an issue. If you happen to say things that the oil companies are also saying, then you are necessarily wrong. It's like guilt by association. It's also a, it's a logical fallacy called a hasty generalization. So what he's saying is that if you critique renewable energy, then you're for fossil fuels because there are only two sides to this. That's also called a straw man argument because he's misrepresenting what his opponents are saying. So it says, Planet of the Humans repeats a simple, contrarian, and nonsensical premise, renewable energy doesn't work. So are we allowed to critique renewable energy? And is the film saying categorically that renewable energy doesn't work? If the film does not say categorically that renewable energy doesn't work, then Josh Fox is lying. And yet this is the article that was sent to me by local environmentalists. As if, you know, you have this article, it says the movie is bad, what else do you need to know? The next sentence says, I realize this sounds insane. Renewable energy, solar and wind, the most important energy innovations of this or any century, which represent the only way a civilization can possibly decarbonize, is just a big fat sham. So you've got straw man argument here, misrepresenting your opponent, 
Plus, you've got a massive generalization that we're supposed to buy into. The massive generalization, well, for one thing, solar and wind, the most important energy innovations of this century. So this is an important energy in innovation. Therefore, we can't critique it. Therefore, we can't call into uh, we can't call attention to any of its limitations. We can't call attention to the fossil fuels that are required to mine the metals, assemble the, the, uh, assemble the solar panels, assemble the windmills. We're not allowed to call into account the, uh, to call your attention to the changes in land use that are required by solar energy and wind farms. He also says here the, uh, so that renewable energy, solar and wind, is the only way civilization can possibly decarbonize. The only way solar, uh, you know, civilization can possibly decarbonize. The only way. You know, there is no subtlety here. There is no nuance here. There is no critical thinking here. And yet this is the article that was sent to me when I had the nerve to say maybe this movie raises some issues that we should be thinking about. So I've got about a minute left. Let me leave you with some things to think about. So this movie has been important to me because it has revealed a, a lot of truth. It has been a moment of truth within the environmental movement. It has caused us to raise really important questions about who we're going to trust, about whether we are going to have any critical thinking whatsoever, whether we're supposed to blindly follow those who are saying the right things irrespective of what they do. We have abundant opportunity to decarbonize, but we need to go against, we need to be willing to go against big money. And we need to not follow people who just want to lead us along a path as if they're the adults and we're the children. If you have any questions, comments, or observations about any of this, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Thanks so much for joining me. Have a great day.